Let's pray. From Psalm 95, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Father, today uh, we are faced in this scripture, um, people with hardened hearts, people who have rebelled against you, uh, people who have filled up the measure of their sin. And these are hard things to see, to learn about, even if they are thousands of years ago and people that we will never meet. Um, And uh, yet, Father, you have given us these truths um, for our edification and for your glory. And would you be glorified today in the proclamation of these things? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome or welcome back. Uh, We are in Ezekiel. Last week we covered chapters 1 through 3. We got a a running start uh, at, I think, what I told many of you was the easiest part of Ezekiel, and you'll see why that's true as we get into the rest of this. Uh, Today, uh, Lord willing, we will cover chapters 4 through 11. Uh, We will finish out uh, really the first unit or vision uh, of, uh, that Ezekiel was given by the Lord, and then we will see uh, the temple vision in chapters uh, 8 through 11. If you don't have a handout, there are several on the table back there. Josh Lone has them at the ready if you need some. If you haven't already turned to Ezekiel, please do. Um, we are going to be pick up in chapter 4. So, Uh, Chapter 4 is just an immediate continuation of what we have already seen uh, through chapters 1 through 3, and you can see it from the very first words, and you, son of man, and and on we'll go. So let's get the first three verses of of chapter 4, and we'll see what the Lord has for us. And you, son of man, take a brick and lay it before you and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem. And put siege works against it, and build a siege wall against it, and cast up a mound against it, set camps also against it, and plant battering rams against it all around. And you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and set your face toward it, and let it be in a state of siege. 
and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. So if you're playing along at home in your handout, and you're wondering what this first portrayal is, you may have already guessed, this is siege. Uh, Ezekiel is called to put together a portrayal and, and vision of the siege of Jerusalem. And he's, he's told to take a clay tile or brick to inscribe a map of the city of Jerusalem on it so that it's clear that this is what it is. <clears throat> he's called to put a whole bunch of other things around it, siege works. We really don't think of siege uh, very often. It's not how we do war. We can do war from afar. We just lob things that are laser-guided and, and GPS-guided. We don't have to actually go to a city to destroy a city. Uh, in that day, they did. And so a siege was simply to surround it and to starve the people out until they either died of famine or, or they surrendered. And so these siege works were towers that could, could be brought near the city. You could, you could get undercover and, and pick off somebody as an archer. You could hurl stones at their towers to knock down the walls. A siege wall uh, was simply a blockade. We understand that term, right? So it's, it's to stop people from escaping and to stop supplies from coming in. Because if you're besieged, but you're happy and you have all the food and water you need, you don't care about being besieged. Uh, so, uh, battering rams and camps. In fact, Deuteronomy 20, we won't go there today, uh, God gives all sorts of rules about how the Israelites were to conduct war by besiegement. Um, but finally, in this little section, we have this iron griddle as a wall, which is the most interesting part of this because uh, that's not part of besiegement. But what is happening here is Ezekiel, in the stead of Yahweh, is putting this iron griddle as a wall between him and the city, but he's not turned his back away from them. He is sitting on the other side of the wall, and he is watching intently. And the, the, the point here couldn't be more clear. The Lord has a separation between himself and the people of Jerusalem, but he is still intently watching and directing every step of the way, every, everything that will happen in the next few years. Uh, in Jerusalem, the destruction of that city will be... Uh, under the hand, not only of Nebuchadnezzar, but under God himself. Okay. So, let's move on. We have a second portrayal here, and it is punishment. Punishment is verses 4 to 8. Let me read that. And you'll see, this is just all coming at us, one thing like after another. It's like we're reading the Gospel of Mark, and do this, and then do this, and then do this. It's just, this is, these are just rapid fire for Ezekiel. Then lie on your left side, and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of the days that you lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. For I assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of the years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. Forty days 
I assign you a day for each year, and you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against that city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. So the next picture of punishment. There are things we know about this. There are a lot of things we don't know. Um, what does this mean to have this bear the punishment? We, we, we don't know if there is a specific item that is a picture of this punishment, but I think it's best to understand that simply his being constrained and being obedient to the Lord's command is bearing that It's a picture of bearing that punishment with his arm bared, uh, laying prone. Um, yeah, is, is simply a picture <clears throat> of, of what this punishment is. Now, Israel and Judah, we immediately think northern and southern kingdom, right? So there's 390 for Israel, 40 for Judah. We want to be a little careful because Ezekiel does not always speak in those terms when he's speaking about Israel. You'll see that if you go right back to verse 3 uh, from the first portrayal. And he's talking about this siege of Jerusalem, and his last statement from the Lord is, this is a sign for the house of Israel. Right, so, so that's confusing if we're, if we're strictly saying Israel always means northern kingdom, Samaria, where that kingdom had already been dissolved 125 years before. Um, how can the direct destruction of Jerusalem be a sign for the northern kingdom? Uh, all to say, this, this punishment uh, or iniquity that he's bearing, um, I believe, is simply describing and the ongoing punishment that the people of Israel, the remaining people of Israel, are still undergoing and which, uh, which will culminate with the destruction of Jerusalem. Everything that we will see here points that direction. And um, I have what some may call strange ideas about what the 390 and the 40 are. So I won't share those here, but I'll gladly share with you individually um, because I'm just not certain enough about them. No one that I've read is <laughs> certain enough about what those are as well. <clears throat> but do notice, all the time that this is going on, his face is still set towards the siege. That is, there's still intent and, and attention uh, placed upon the city. The arm bared is a military stance of readiness, ready for battle. He is prophesying against the city as a regular reminder of God's judgment. And the cords upon him that there is no escape. And so this is all part of the picture that Yahweh is painting for the people of Jerusalem. Remember, he's not, he's not prophesying specifically in their presence, right? He's, he's a thousand miles to the east over in Babylon by the Kabar Canal. And, but he's prophesying about what's going to be happening in a few years back in Jerusalem. All right, third portrayal. Your word here is famine. Famine. Uh, verses 9 to 12 will read, And you take wheat and barley, beans and lentil, millet and emmer. Put them into a single vessel and make your bread from them. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days you shall eat it. And your food that you eat 
shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day, from day to day you shall eat it, and water you shall drink by measure, the sixth part of a hin, from day to day you shall drink. So there's more, but the big idea here is food is scarce. That's the big idea. When you are in a city that has been besieged, food will run out. And so they're the picture is gather together whatever you can get of these six different grains and make a, make a loaf. About a half pound, that's what 20 shekels is. So of a heavy, dense bread, it's like a softball-sized chunk of bread, maybe a little bit bigger. That's your daily portion. The sixth part of a hen, just a little bit bigger than this. This is your daily portion of water for 390 days. Uh, so that is famine. That's what, that's what is being prophesied. Um, and, verse 12, you shall eat it as barley cake, baking it in their sight on human dung. Uh, scarcity even of wood or coals uh, or some other form of fuel to make a fire. Uh, so this is the, the severity of the famine that will come upon the people of Jerusalem. There are promises of judgment given uh, later in the rest of that, verses 13 to 17. I'll leave that to you uh, to read at a later time because we need to get to the fourth portrayal, which is the end. So chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And you, O son of man, take a sharp sword. Use it as a barber's razor and pass it over your head and your beard. Then take the balances for weighing and divide the hair. A third part you shall burn in the fire in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are completed. And a third part you shall take and strike with the sword all around the city. And a third part you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheath the sword after them. So here the picture, this is now instructions that God is giving to Ezekiel about when, when, the, when the siege has ended, that is his 390 or 430 days of depicting the siege. may not have had a haircut that entire time. He will have a long beard, he will have plenty of hair, and he's to shave this and to separate out, again, making a picture of the destruction, the city being burned, or you might say dead bodies, from pestilence or disease being burned in the city. A third of it being, he's whacking it with a sword all around the city, those being killed by the sword. And then another third being scattered. These are those escaping who will be cut down by Babylonian soldiers uh, as they seek to escape the city. It's it's horrific uh, ending that is given. Yet, verses 3 and 4, we see a little glimmer, just a little glimmer of God saving a remnant. Verses 3 and 4. And you shall take from these a small number and bind them in the skirts of your robe. And of these again you shall take some and cast them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. From there a fire will come out into all the house of Israel. So there is a remnant and some of them will die, but not all. It's not explicitly said there, but, but there, there's some saved hairs, as it were, 
just, just, a, just a little clip of, of hair, uh, a remnant of, of God's people secured, even in the midst of fire and sword and scattering. Uh, one author put it this way, the symbolic judgmental action of burning, chopping up, and scattering the hair now gives way to the gracious protective care over the exiles. This is the way the Lord works, that he always keeps his own. Um, Okay, so those are our four portrayals, and now the rest of chapter 5 is is prophecies against the city of Jerusalem. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. And she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries all around her. For they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. So God has intentionally placed Jerusalem amongst the nations. He has kept her. He has protected her. And yet they, her, his chosen people, have rebelled more than all the nations around. And we see the rejection of his rules, not walking in his statutes, the, the result of a heart that is hardened against the Lord. Um, Rather than treasuring the Lord and his gracious choosing of him, they have, Israel has turned away from him and has increasingly taken their cues from the other nations around them. We see it as early as their first king, right? Give us a king like the other nations. We want to do this like the other nations. And it's only a matter of time before those heart attitudes are translated into footsteps and behaviors. And so this is one of the takeaways that we should be aware of. Right? If your heart is set on anything other than the Lord, your feet will follow. Your feet will follow. So take care of how you listen, how you love, what you love. Okay. 7 to 17 shows us more of the... Judgment, we will not have time to read all of this, but I want you to see bits and pieces as we bounce down through it. Verse 7, you are more turbulent than the nations around you. You've not walked in my ways or my rules. In fact, you haven't even walked in the other nations' rules. You are a lawbreaker by by the rules of the nations that surround you. This is how wicked you are. And verse 8, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, am against you. Your punishment is going to be public. Verse 14 uh, and following, you'll see that uh, you will be made a desolation and an object of reproach among the nations all around you. In verse 9, he says, I, I, I will act as in a way that I never have and never will again. I will... In verse 11, not spare or show pity. My fury will be spent in verse 13. Verse 10 shows us that there will be a judgment and scattering. And in verse 12, we see again this um, tripartite judgment um, of pestilence, uh, 
sword, and scattering. So these are the prophecies. And now, the big theme through all of this that we can't miss. We mentioned it last week, and I want you to see this is just shows up over and over and over again. God's big work here is to remind them and to remind us that he is the Lord. Um, look at it with me, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God. Verse 7, therefore, thus says the Lord God. Verse 8, therefore, thus says the Lord God. Verse 11, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God. Verse 13, at the end of that verse, well, the middle of that verse, they shall know that I am the Lord. The end of verse 15, I am the Lord, I have spoken. And then finally, verse 17. I will bring the sword upon you, I am the Lord, I have spoken. His primary purpose couldn't be more clear, and that is that, that the people would know that there is only one God in all the world, in all the universe, and it's Yahweh. It is Him. It is no one else. Okay. All right. That ties a bow on our first two chapters, so let's go on to um, verses, no, sorry, chapters 6 and 7, where we have prophecies against the land. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came to me. I, I remember I mentioned last week, this is now a mental marker. We see the word of the Lord came to me. Okay, this, it's like a new, if we ever find a paragraph mark in Hebrew, that's it in Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. And now we will see, again, Ezekiel's a thousand miles away from these, but, but he's calling against the land, and we will get the details right here in verses 3 to 7. And say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills, to the ravines and the valleys, behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you, and I will destroy your high places. All right, what's a high place? What's a high place? Come on. That's right, that's right. This is where, where false worship, worship of false gods, the Ashtaroth and others were conducted. Yeah, they were, they were hilltop altars, right. So now we're getting, now, now it's not just, blameless mountains and pretty rolling hills, but there's, there's what the people had been doing there is coming in. Verse 4, your altars shall become desolate, your incense altars shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain before your idols. And I will lay the dead bodies of the people of Israel before their idols. I will scatter your bones around your altars. Wherever you dwell, the cities shall be waste, and the high places ruined so that your altars will be waste and ruined, your idols broken and destroyed, your incense altars cut down, and your works wiped out. And the slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Um, so strong um, prophecy and judgment from the Lord. Re the rebellion that... Uh, was against the Lord, is framed up as defiling the land, and the Lord will clear out all the defilement uh, that has been placed against the land. 
Okay, verses 8 to 10. Again, we are going to hear about a remnant. Yet I will leave some of you alive. When you have among the nations some who escape the sword and when you're scattered through the countries, then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive. How I have been broken over their whoring heart that has departed from me and over their eyes that go whoring after their idols. And they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils that they have committed for all their abominations. And they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would do this evil to them. So these folks who are the remnant who are kept are repentant. They are loathsome in their own uh, sight. They're brokenhearted. And they will acknowledge the Lord and vindicate his actions that he is just. All right, we go on in verses 11 to 14. Um, Ezekiel speaks of getting their attention and, and bringing this to a full end. Verse 11, clap your hands, stamp your foot, and say, Alas! Because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Again, this, this three-part judgment against them. So earlier, um, what we saw were the mountains, the high places, and we will see more. I lost my spot where I was looking for there it is, down in 14. I will stretch out my hand against them, all of these hills, high places, in all their dwelling place, places, from the wilderness to Riblah. Then they will know that I am the Lord. So here, wilderness, he's talking about the, the wilderness in, in the south, uh, where the, uh, the generation in the wilderness spent. Riblah is, is near the northern end. Of, of Israel. So he's, he's saying, you know, from Brownsville to Amarillo, uh, I, I will judge and I will clear this land. Okay. Chapter 7. And the point here is that the end has come in, in chapter 7. You'll see another textual marker in verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to me. And you, O son of man... Thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. And so now, again, the four corners of the land could be even the, translated the four corners of the earth. Uh, and so God is making clear that his judgment here will be complete. There will, there will be nothing uh, held back. Now, some of the features as we go down through uh, this... It, it's, it is difficult to, to rightly convey the power and strength with which uh, this judgment is coming. Um, but let me just look at some of these pieces with you. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God, disaster after disaster. Uh, behold, it comes. Verse 10, behold the day, behold, it comes. Um, verse 14, they have blown the trumpet, that is the battle trumpet. Uh, verse 23, 
Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes and the city full of violence. The, uh, the strength of this oracle against the people of Israel is just uh, beyond de- description. Notice in verses 2 and 3. An end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. Verse 3, now the end is upon you. So Ezekiel, God is speaking through Ezekiel saying, the end has come upon the land. Uh, it, is, it is as good as done. And now my attention comes upon you and my judgment comes upon you. Okay. God's purpose here um, remains the same, that people will know that he is the Lord. You'll see it again, verse 4, the end of verse 4. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The end of verse 9, then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 27, the very end of the chapter. um, I will do to them according to their judgments, I will judge them. And they shall know that I am the Lord. This end... Uh, is depicted, even animated, with, with a, a series of, of pictures for us to see. Uh, verse 6. Uh, an end has come, the end has come, it has awakened against you. Uh, verse 7. It has come to you. Your doom has come to you. All right. Quick thing on the word doom. It could just as easily be your garland or your leash or your wreath has come. And let me explain why I prefer that translation. Let me get myself back to my notes, and this will make more sense to you. Think about something that is growing and blooming and coming to fruition, okay? Um, There we are, verse 10. Your doom, or your garland, has come. The rod has blossomed. Pride has budded. Violence has grown up into a rod of wickedness. So that picture there is one of your sin has been growing. Growing like a weed that has now come into full bloom. And you will now be decorated with this garland of this thorny weed that that you have created I will crown you with that I will put it around your neck and you will be decorated now with what you have created out of your own wickedness okay verse 16 and following are the responses in that day verse 16 misery of any And if any survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like doves of the valley, all of them moaning, each one over his iniquity. Verse 17, all hands are feeble, all knees turn to water. Uh, These these are pictures of people just completely uh, overwhelmed. Verse 18, they put on sackcloth and horror covers them. Shame is on all their faces and baldness on all their heads. Uh, Verse 19, uh, there is a futility of money 
They cast their silver into the streets. Their gold is like an unclean thing uh, because they know that their gold and silver will not deliver them uh, from the day of the Lord. Uh, Verse 26. Disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. So they are looking. Will somebody give us some good news? Will somebody give us some words of peace and relief? But there are none uh, to be had. They are, in verse 27, uh, the king mourns, the prince is wrapped in despair, and the hands of the people of the land are paralyzed by terror. Uh, The judgment that is promised uh, for Jerusalem is overwhelming. And again, God's purpose remains clear that they would know that he is the Lord. God is perfectly merciful, perfectly just, and has perfect timing. Uh, The sins of Israel have come to full bloom before the Lord, and he will pour his wrath out. And verse 27 sums it up well. According to their way, this is the last half of verse 27, according to their way, I will do to them. And according to their judgments, I will judge them. And they shall know that I am the Lord. Okay. So that wraps up the... uh, uh, prophecies against the the land. We turn to chapter 8, and 8 through 11 give us the temple vision, uh, one of the temple visions. We'll have another temple vision several weeks from now, Um, but this is the first one that we have, and we have a new time stamp in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month. So here we are about 14 months after where we were in chapter 1, and that makes perfect sense with the timing of a guy who spent 390 days laying on one side, lying on one side, and 40 days lying on another side, that's about 14 months. And at the end of this, um, here we are, uh, where we're rolling right into this, this vision. And what we will see is the same thing that we saw last week, in the sense of we will see, Ezekiel will see visions of God, he will hear the word of God, and he will have the hand of the Lord on him. And you'll see very quickly, he'll have the hand of the Lord grabbing a lock of his hair and jerking him up and, and sending him off to a vision. So, okay, chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 4. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there like the vision that I saw in the valley. We won't take the time now. We'll get to it, Lord willing. The end of chapter 11, 
buttons this up in the same way that, that Ezekiel has just opened this up. And so this, it makes a great framework for us to understand all of this as one piece, chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. And we are uh, on our way to looking now next at abominations in the temple. Abominations in the temple. <coughs> There are four of them, and we've already mentioned one of them, but, but in verses 5 and 6, Ezekiel will give us more information. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north, and behold, north of the altar gate in the entrance was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from the sanctuary, but you will see still greater abominations. So this is some sort of forbidden image, statue that is there outside the inner court, in the outer court, which was a public space of the, the temple. And so this is abomination number one. Abomination number two comes to us in verses 7 through 13. I uh, won't read all of it, but I'll, I'll read a bit here. Um, he brought me to the entrance of the court and there was a hole in the wall. So he was told to dig through the wall, so he did what he ought to do. Remember, this is a vision. Ezekiel has not been physically transported to the real temple in Jerusalem. He's having a vision of this. Um, somewhere between the earth and the heavens. So he digs through the wall. He goes in. And verse 10 I went in and I saw, and there engraved on the wall all around every form of creeping things, loathsome beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Jahazaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. So these are leading men uh, who are in God's temple, but they're hiding. They're in a dark place, worshiping idols in the temple of God. And, and images of loathsome creatures and, and engravings all around of wickedness. His second uh, abomination. Note verse 12, the second half of it. We need to get that part of it. Right. Well, God says to him, do you see what they're doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Well, they were half right. Right, the Lord had forsaken the land. But they mistook what the Lord's action would there be there again. Remember from the first picture of the siege? Set up the siege, set up the wall, forsake the city, but keep looking at it. The Lord still was intently looking upon the city of Jerusalem and those sinners who were there. And, and these elders thought, Lord's forsaken the land, he's moved his attention on somewhere else, we can do whatever we want. This is a very practical warning for us. When trouble comes upon you, you believe that the Lord has forsaken you, 
or, or has, has affliction has come upon you, his attention may never be more close upon you at that time than at any other. Don't turn away from him. Don't think that he has turned away from you. You run to him in affliction. Don't run away. And these men have run away. They have turned away, believing that the Lord doesn't see what we're doing. The Lord doesn't care about us anymore. We do whatever we want. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Okay. Abomination number three, verses 14 and 15. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. Okay? Need an explanation. Tammuz uh, is a Babylonian god, the Babylonian god of springtime. And if, if uh, you have a god of springtime and fresh vegetation and summer has come and everything's turned brown and the tumbleweeds are blowing across, then you're sad. And you're waiting, you're praying that Tammuz would bring the rain and bring the next spring. So this is the abomination that we see. Um, by the way, I think that still in the Hebrew calendar there is a month named Tammuz, oddly enough. Verses 16 to 18, abomination number 4. And he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? I'll stop there because I want to, we want to make the point here of what first before we go elsewhere. Um, so here, um, Ezekiel is being drawn closer and closer and closer into. Now he's in the temple proper. He's right between the porch and the altar. And there are men facing away from the center of the temple rather than focusing on the Holy of Holies. They are facing away, worshiping the sun uh, to the east. Um, we're not told which sun god. could be an Egyptian sun god, very popular god in Egypt. right? And so we see the effects of Babylonian uh, religion and Egyptian religion on these, these men that, that Ezekiel is being brought to see. <clears throat> okay, now we, now we can pick back up here in verse 17. Is it too light of a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here? That they should fill the land with violence and provoke, provoke me still further to anger? So the, his, what God is saying is, this is just one spot. This is just one spot in one city. And this is just a picture of what's happening everywhere. His focus is on Jerusalem. His focus right now is specifically in the temple. But the people all throughout the, the nation, all throughout the land, have abandoned him. Okay. And we have another picture. Um, not another abomination, but, but in verse uh, 17, the very end. Behold, they put the branch to their nose. We have no idea what that is. 
but it's some insult towards God. We've lost that idiom. We've lost that picture to history. You decide what that sounds like. Um, but but uh, whatever it is, it is an insult and affront to God of what these men are doing. Therefore, I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Okay, that is chapter 8. And now we see the Lord is going to work. The Lord is against idolaters. Chapter 9, the Lord is against idolaters. Verses 1 and 2. Then he cried in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Bring near the executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. And with them was a man clothed in linen with a writing case at his waist. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. So God has now started the picture advances to bringing the judgment to bear upon the people uh, in the temple, around the temple, in the city. Six executioners brought and a scribe or a clerk. Verse 3, now the glory of the Lord, sorry, the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. So we now see, we have, we have, God has brought Ezekiel closer and closer to the center of the temple, and we will see now the movement in stages of the glory of God away from the center of the temple, and in fact, outside the temple, in fact, outside of the city, in case we run out of time, give you the punchline, it's going to end up over uh, on the hill, uh, the Mount of Olives, to the east of the city, completely out of the city. Um, But instructions are given, we won't read it in verses 4 to 11, to the scribe to go throughout all the city and to put a mark on those who sigh and groan over these abominations. And then uh, he returns in verse 11 and says, Mission accomplished. Yeah, and behold, the man clothed in linen with the writing case at his waist brought back word, I've done as you've commanded me. And the instructions given also to the other six, then is go and kill the rest. Go and kill those who are not mourning over the sin of Israel. Be they old, young, men, women, children. Kill the rest. Show no pity. And begin with these sun worshipers right here. Begin right here. Uh, Ezekiel um, cries out in despair for the remnant, but Yahweh speaks of the overwhelming guilt of Israel and Judah. All right. We're on to chapter 10, where the Lord abandons the temple. He abandons uh, the temple. Verses 1 and 2. Then I looked, and behold, on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like a sapphire in appearance, like a throne. And he said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the whirling wheels under the, underneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. So God is speaking of, of, of now 
executing his judgment of burning the city, destroying the city uh, itself. And do note, right, we talked about this last week, we had the sanctified stuttering of Ezekiel in chapter 1 where he just didn't know what to say as he saw this vision of these cherubim and, and the expanse and the throne and the wheels. Well, now he's got some words that he can, he's, he's calling them cherubim, not the living creatures. So he's got that. He's got whirring wheels. Now he's got a title for, for these wheels and wheels with eyes all around. So um, it's, not that, it's not that he is at ease in this presence of this vision, but at least he's got the wherewithal to use some vocabulary and give us some titles about these things. Okay. Right, so, so we have uh, the destruction uh, that, is, that is carried out there, and I want to get us on... Oh, so, I'm um, sorry... Verses 18 and 19, at the end of that, then the glory, in chapter 10, 18 and 19, then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And so we now have... Another movement of the glory of God and his, his cherubim, and maybe their chariot, um, moving away from the city, from, from the temple at least now. All right, chapter 11 is, <clears throat> begins with a judgment on wicked counselors. Wicked counselors. And so what we're seeing is, is as we're getting these pictures of, of God's large-scale destruction and judgment on Jerusalem, but we get little pictures of these idolaters or this group. We get little pictures of these wicked counselors that we have an interplay between uh, sort of the, uh, the, the judgment in space and time and God's grand uh, abandonment of Jerusalem at a theological level. And so this is one of these little bits of in space and time. Um, chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the house of God, which faces east. And behold, at the entrance of the gateway there were 25 men. And I saw among them Jehazaniah, this is a different Jehazaniah, by the way, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people, and he said to me, Son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity, who give wicked counsel in the city, who say, The time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron, and we are the meat. <clears throat> this is an incredibly difficult statement to understand, but in the time we have here, let me explain. <clears throat> because it's not clear whether this is actually a statement or a question. Uh, it's not clear what build houses means. Is that literal or grow my family? Uh, it's also the word for pot or cauldron could be used for cooking or a crock for storing and protecting meat. Um, so I think that the best rendering of something like this is perhaps more like 
is not the time near to prosper and to grow your family. Um, the city is ours and it's impenetrable. We are safely sealed away here like choice morsels. Now remember, these, these leaders of the city, um, with Ezekiel, there were 10,000 leaders of the city who were taken away five years, now six years ago, in the second exile. So what's left? Lots of big, empty houses. And lots of people who weren't leaders of the city, but now are. And so they have moved into these big, snazzy houses that they didn't, they weren't theirs. And it's been five years since Nebuchadnezzar's been around. They think, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. You know, things are just all right. Nebuchadnezzar has his attention on Tyre and Sidon and somewhere else, and we're doing just fine. So this is a good time. Is it not the time to be building? Sure. Um, we are safe. We're sealed away in this city, and we are the choice morsels of this of this land. Um, <clears throat> so the what else do I have on this? Right. So this is this is peace, peace when there is, is no peace. This is not believing and understanding uh, the prophecy that is coming. Okay. Four through thirteen in this chapter we have the reprimand upon those people that they are actually killing their own people. I'll give you a mental or a note. Go ahead and look up at another time, Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And, and you will see an, essentially the same message given uh, to another people. <clears throat> All right. But... God's point here is that he is bringing this judgment and his purpose will not be thwarted. You'll see it again in verses 10 and 12 here. You'll fall by the sword, I'll judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Uh, verse 12, you have not walked in my statutes, nor obeyed my rules, but have acted according to the rules of the nations that are around you. So he is... He is seeking to make sure that they know that he is the Lord. Okay. We are going to bring it to a halt right here because the next section, um, I'll give you your notes. It's the gospel according to Ezekiel. And we don't want to miss that uh, because it's glorious. We don't, and it, uh, it needs more than two minutes of our time next week. But let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, uh, though uh, parts of it are no doubt hard, not only to understand but to swallow um, when we see people who have hardened their hearts against you and upon whom judgment will come. But we trust, Father, that your good hand is good and that your purposes are right when you are causing these things to come that people would know that you and you alone are God. Would we glory in that and trust you even in these hard things? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.